how important do you think it is for startups, for business people to embrace copywriting, even if they don't like it or love it, like you said? I think it's the most important skill a human can learn. It may be like, I think there's other important skills, but in terms of um, the most important practical skill, I think copywriting is probably the highest. Knowing what motivates someone and getting them to do what I want them to do. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Sam Parr. This episode's all about how to make your first million. Sam's the founder of The Hustle and Trends.co, which is a newsletter and community of almost 2 million young entrepreneurs and business leaders. He also also hosts the top 25 podcast, My First Million. So what you're going to love about this is Sam and I dig into his story, but then trends that are going on in today's day and age and things that he would do if he was trying to build his first million dollar business now in 2022 when we're recording this. So whether you have an existing business and you just want to leverage some of his tips to build a huge audience or monetize what you're doing today, or you're starting from scratch and want to take some of his trends and ideas to really start going on something that could work. Sam has tons of ideas and he shares those in this podcast. So take a listen and I know it'll be worth your time. Hey everyone, welcome to Organized Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio. And today I have with me a special guest, Sam Parr. Hey Sam. What's going on, man? How are you? I am great. So I'm excited to talk about this idea of your first million. And you've got a podcast by a similar name, My First Million. So can you tell us what is the show all about? So the show, I joke, it's like the name's horrible. It's a really bad name. Um, it started as one thing, but it's a little bit different now. And basically, it's my co-host, Sean, and I brainstorm different business ideas and do business breakdowns, which A, doesn't exactly encompass like that's not entirely what we do, but we do more than that. And B, it, that makes it sound so boring because it's like part entertainment. We're we're kind of funny, I think, or at least people think we are. And we also have some big name guests on who'll come on who are in, in business, and we ask some questions that a lot of people are embarrassed to ask. But uh, a lot of people listen to us because we brainstorm and break down different businesses. It's totally entertaining. And, you know, I think it's what's cool about it is it's kind of like a couple friends hanging out and just talking yeah. about random business stuff, just like anyone would. But you, you get to be a fly on the wall of your conversation. So I love it. But, you know, in, in terms of building a first million something, you, you've you've done this a few times. The Hustle, of course, has millions of sus subscribers. Is it was it two million that I saw? Yeah. And uh, of course, the business is also valued in the multiple, multiple millions of dollars. So we don't have to share specific numbers, but the hustle has become a amazing story and a fast growing media outlet. And so it didn't happen overnight, but I want to unpack just your journey and getting to, to your first million, whatever it was. So let's, let's start from the beginning. I saw that you had a hot dog stand, a roommate matching platform, a online liquor store, so you're like the uh, the epitome of entrepreneurship. What what else did you have going on in the early days? Yeah, I mean, I was always, I was just doing stuff. So like right when YouTube launched, I was one of the early people that hit over a million views on YouTube. Um, I did it in a scammy way, so I'm not particularly proud of it. But I was like, I saw early on that that was going to be a thing, and so I pounced on that. I should have stuck with it. 
The second thing, I, I always was selling a ton of stuff on eBay and Craigslist. I, I crushed it on there. Um, I then in college, I opened up hot dog stands and we all eventually had multiple locations. Uh, so I've always kind of just been uh, doing stuff. I've always had some type of like little thing going. So did you decided not to be a hot dog mogul though, like at some point? <laughs> well, so I was doing this in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was fun. Like when you're 20, 21 years old and you walk home with $1,000 of cash in your pocket, which I would some days, that was like, I'm rich. We, we, we would jokingly call it hood rich because I would have basically like ones and fives, just but, but like a fat wad. And I would just always have a ton of money on me. And that was awesome. But it was incredibly physically demanding, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can I can't do this for I can't work like this for a long time. It's so challenging. I got to figure out a better way to leverage my abilities." And that's when I kind of learned about the internet. <laughs> my my first business, real business, was selling VHS tapes at like sporting games, yeah. and it's the same thing: F- fives and tens, cash, and uh, and yeah, you can't can't do that for too long. So, h- how did it bridge into the hustle? Where did the idea for the hustle come from? So, I had a business that was a roommate matching thing, and we sold it. And I didn't sell it for a ton of money, but I was in my early 20s, 22, 23, 24. And I had a little bit of money, many tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousands, maybe a hundred K or something to my name. And I was like, well, that's obviously not enough to live off of, but that's a cool start. Um, Let's start a business. And so I had this conference called HustleCon, which was like... uh, it was like um, an entrepreneurial conference, but all the speakers were people who had founded huge companies, but they weren't technical. So like the woman who started Stitch Fix, which is a multi-billion dollar company, the folks at Casper, um, uh, all types of like companies like that. And in order to make that... Con- and I just did the conference to meet people and maybe I could like partner with someone after. I was like, I'll just meet someone. I don't know. I'm, maybe this might lead to something. I'm not sure what it's going to lead to, but I'm just going to do it. And in order to make it popular, I created a newsletter. And that newsletter I would write all the time. And that newsletter got really popular. And the conference made a lot of money too. I didn't expect it to, but it did. And I was like, that's kind of funny. Let's do it again. So I did it again and it made even more money. It made like a quarter of a million dollars in profit in like four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do conferences forever because that's really hard. But this newsletter thing that I made, like, Maybe that has legs. Like, what what can we do with that? And that's kind of how the hustle came to be. So originally, the newsletter is just supporting the conference. It was to help you sell conference yeah. tickets. And what what was the content yeah. of the newsletter originally? Similar to today, or was it different? No, it was it was it was different. It was entrepreneurial. So I would just write articles about the speakers, but I would do it a in kind of a funny, interesting voice that was like wrapped in copywriting. I was a self taught copywriter, so I knew how to write to get people's attention and. Uh, B, I did something interesting early on, which was I was like, man, if I send an email, let's say I get a 50% open rate and then a a 5% click through. If I send an email to a thousand people, that means only like 50 people are clicking my thing. Whereas I have 500 of them just viewing the article or viewing the email. I should just put all the content in the email. And that's what I did back in 2014, 2015. And that was considered kind of unique and original. And at the time, And that is where I was like, okay, this could be kind of cool. And then I was like, all right, let's start a blog where I just write these stories a bunch of times a week. And that's what I started doing. And then I said, 
shit, this is hard to come up with this type of stuff all the time. Let's do something even more. Let's do, let's do news. There's news every single day. I could do that all the time. That's easy. And so in 2016, we only did news. So you started this newsletter and do you remember when you did the first conference, like how many people attended the conference, how many people were on the newsletter, just so everybody can get some size, you know, context of the size. When I started the newsletter, it was so the newsletter, the HustleCon's newsletter was one thing that started with zero. And after six weeks, I think I had three or 4,000 subscribers and um, 350 people came to the event. And I think it made 60,000 in revenue. And that event was it, it, it took six weeks from like deciding to do it and then doing it. So in like six weeks, it got maybe it was two thousand subscribers, but it was somewhere in the range of two to four thousand people signed up for the email because right away. And I actually posted my if you Google like Sam Parr HustleCon and you could see like my first email drip. I actually show all the stats to the website. So like right away, we were getting a thousand people to come to the website because I got really good at posting it on Reddit and Hacker News. And then I took six months off where I traveled the country, rode my motorcycle, and then I did it again. And this time. I think uh, we sold 600 tickets, but probably 450 to 500 people showed up. And at that point, the list had 10,000 people. So I basically, I would work for six weeks hosting this event, take time off and then do it again. So like, depending on how you look at it, uh, it could either have been, it took 12 weeks to get to 10,000 people or it took nine months, depending on how you want to measure it. But I wasn't working in between conferences. And, um, so when I launched the daily newsletter, we had about 10,000 subscribers. And then at the end of the first year of doing the daily sends, which is what the hustle is, we had 100,000. Wow. And so was it just you at this time at the, the beginning? Yeah. And so it's it's so here you are, you're writing newsletters, you're putting on these, these uh, events, and then you're just taking extended periods of time off. Did you have these big ambitions to build this into something huge? Or did you just think, let me rinse and repeat and do this for a while and, and take some money off the table? It depends what your definition of huge is, but I wanted to go bigger than just uh, an event. That's for sure. I wanted to, originally I was like, I want to employ thousands of people. And then I got to the, and then I started thinking about it more. And I was like, I read a couple books um, and I learned about a few different people like Mark Cuban and a few other folks. And I noticed that there was this like trend of the people I admired where they were able to secure like some type of financial stability and financial freedom by their like early 30s. And in doing that, that allowed them while they were still young and had energy to restart, but on even bigger problems because they didn't have to worry about like day to day finances. And I really admired that way. And I was like, if I could crack that code, which I think I can, I'm good. Like, I, that's the life I want. And so I knew I wanted to hit a certain number by the age of 30. And I was so because of that, I was perfectly fine selling the company for, let's say, many tens of millions as opposed to trying to build a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, no, that's that's great that you set out. You knew what your goal was when you set out. So you built this list of three or four thousand people in a handful of weeks, which I think for most of our listeners would be the most difficult part to imagine because once you've got some momentum, once you've got 10,000, then you can see it go into a hundred or a million, but getting those first three to 4,000 people is no easy task. And so how did you do that? Like, how did you stir up the momentum to get the first people? 
And I know that that's people think that's the hardest part, and it's kind of hard. But doing it for four years, or five years, sending an email almost every single day for many, many years, and growing from a hundred thousand to many millions is way harder because that consistency is really, really tough. It's really hard to do something because you get you lose focus, you want to give up. That was really the hard part. The exciting part was going zero to three thousand. And the way that I did it was I basically thought early on. Where are the people who I want to subscribe to my newsletter? Where do they live? And in my case, I thought they live in a couple subreddits and they live in a couple uh, and they live on Hacker News, which is Hacker News is kind of like Reddit, but for like geeky Silicon Valley people like me. And I thought, okay, so they live there. So then what would get their attention? Well, like a, a headline that mentions these 20 topics would probably get their attention. Great. I'm going to write those articles. And I'm going to get, if I can get a million to come to my website, I'm making these numbers up. If I get a million to come to my website and I can get 3% of them to convert, that's 30,000 emails. Great. How many? I just have, I know that 18 different titles, there's a chance some of those can work. So how many of those do I got to write? And then I just work backwards and I just like banged it out like constantly. So what were the metrics that you were watching? You know, you mentioned conversion rate and how many people get to your website. Like what, what were you laser focused on in terms of metrics for your business at the beginning? For the first one to three years, every week, we, at first it was just me. And then we had a proper meeting where it was like, all right, Monday morning at 10 a.m., how did we grow our subscriber base by at least 3%? If yes, Great. What do we do now? If no, why didn't we do that? And what what do we got to do to get there? I wanted to grow three percent every single week until at least two hundred two hundred something thousand people. Um, and then I looked at the open rate. The open rate had to be at least fifty percent. Hmm. And so those are the basically the two metrics. But then, of course, you have to go upwards, which is in order to grow by 3%, you need this many website visits. You need this many uh, conversion. You need this conversion rate. You need this many people to click on an article, this many people to click on an ad, like things like that. And I cared about the rest of the funnel. And I like, we were like, we had like, it's called F1, F2, F3, F4, where funnel one, funnel two, funnel three, funnel four. And I would like meticulously look at like, all right, I need, th- I need this many people to see this site, this many people to see this page, to this page. But it was all rooted in growing my total subscriber amount by 3% every week. And, and so at what point uh, did you hire someone else? I saw, I saw some video where you were talking about a New York Times writer that you tried to hire. So maybe you could share that story. But, but when did you finally hire someone? Yeah. So the first year of business, we made like $500,000 and it was mostly from all those conferences. And then I hired a couple people. So I made money through conferences and then I launched the hustle. And then like maybe a few months after, I was able to hire someone. Um, and the first hires were some writers to help me write. And so that was just taking up the most of your time, I guess. And that was the, the, the thing you needed to offload first. Yeah. And the thing I hated the most writing is writing's hard. I like the result. I don't always like doing it. And then like the seventh, eighth, ninth employees were salespeople to sell ads in the newsletters. I don't think anyone would expect you to say that writing was the thing you hated the most in starting a, a company with a daily newsletter with as much writing as you've done. So did you were you aware of that from the beginning or did you just burn out over time? I was aware of that. I uh, 
It's hard, man. I like it. I don't love it. And I would actually say most of the time I don't like it. Uh, But when you have a deadline every single day, it forces you to come up with good stuff. And I did it because a little bit out of necessity, but there's a small group of people who just are obsessed and they love it. And that's the type of person who I had to hire was someone who like was obsessed with it. I didn't enjoy the process. I enjoyed the results. There's a lot of people who enjoy the process and I had to hire the process people. Yeah. So if you could, you know, knowing what you know and going through that experience, if you had to build a new media company today, what would you do differently maybe? Or or how would you build the hustle today if you were starting today? So the strategy would be exactly the same, but the tactics would be different. So if I had to start today, I would do the same thing. I would blog like crazy and I would get a certain amount of people to come to the website by posting on Reddit or whatever my people, whichever communities my people lived in. And then I would get them to convert to an email and then I would start sending emails regularly. When we started doing paid advertising to grow, we spent money on Facebook and we were able to acquire new email subscribers for like $1.50 at first. You can't do that anymore. That window has closed. You can do that on TikTok. So instead of advertising on Facebook, I would be advertising on TikTok. But I would do the same thing where I would be writing blog posts and writing something we didn't do because this wasn't a thing then um, is I would be doing Twitter really hard too. Yeah. So when you would go into these Reddit, you know, subreddits and post about the content that you had, um, how did you toe the line between being like self-promotional or it being great content that people actually wanted to read? Like what would a normal post look like from you? I did two things. Eventually people started posting our stuff on their, on their own. So like you could find our articles all over and we're not the ones doing it. But the, I would do a few things. The first thing is I had different personas. So like I would have like a female persona where like it was actually me, but I would write stuff to appeal to women and I would have Reddit usernames that were uh, subscribed to female centric uh, subreddits and I would comment on a lot of like posts. So I would have like a like a female one. I would have like a biohacker one. I would have like a uh, a book, someone who's in a book publishing. I would have I had like a bunch of them. And very consistently, I would comment and post stuff not related to me at all, just to be to build up karma, which is like literally the upvoting system on Reddit, and to be a contributor to the community. And one out of ten, or one out of six of my posts would be self-promotional. And uh, the way that I would find ideas is I would go to the Reddit, the subreddit, and I would click view most popular for the trailing month. And I would like get a trend. I would check the trend of what the most popular articles are on that subreddit. And then I would click the comment section on each uh, article. And I would look at the most upvoted comment to see like what people were saying about it. And those comments would give me ideas. So an example is like maybe there's like a do it yourself home gym subreddit. And like someone wrote about like the best stuff that you can use at home to work out. And the top comment was like, I actually use PVC pipe to build kettlebells. And it's my favorite thing on earth. And that, or I don't know. And that was like the most upvoted thing. I would be like, oh, I should just create articles only on PVC. Am I, I don't even know if I'm using that right. You know, like the white plastic tubing. Uh, I, like I'll, I'll, make an, I'll make an article on that. That's so inter- interesting. Like I, 
I, I am just imagining my marketing team listening to this and just totally redoing their strategy of how they're posting stuff online. So thank you for well, that. Well, the idea was like, I just wanted to know like what topics and what emotions are popular already on the, in this area. Yeah. And how do I fit my voice into that framework? Well, you clearly have a knack for finding those trends. And I know we're going to get into that. But before we do... Uh, you're basically in the business of being a great copywriter. I mean, between the blogs and your podcasts and and the the the, the newsletter, you know, um, you're great with copy. You know how to catch people's attention. And a lot of business people, when they're starting off, they think they want to outsource the marketing and and uh, you know not not worry about that. How important do you think it is for startups for business people to embrace copywriting, even if they don't like it or love it, like you said? I think it's the most important skill a human can learn. It may be like, I think there's other important skills, but in terms of um, the most important practical skill, I think copywriting is probably the highest. The reason being is copywriting is basically, the name is kind of silly because like it's beyond writing and it's about, it's, it's beyond just text-based words. It's basically understanding what motivates someone and figuring out how to communicate something to put in their brain that hopefully convinces them to take an action or feel something that I want them to feel. So knowing what motivates someone and getting them to do what I want them to do, whether that's like I'm trying to give a uh, I'm trying to give a speech on why racism is bad, or I'm trying to convince you to buy something, like or I'm trying to convince you to go on a date with me. Like I'm just trying to persuade you to do or feel something, and. In most cases, in most of my cases, that just happens to be via the written word. And that's what copywriting is all about. And so, like, I think it's the most important thing because we're all like the copywriting techniques that I use to get popular on the internet is this, I use the same thing to meet my wife. So it's like the same shit. Yeah. I remember once buying a, like, a, a, an amazing, it was like a, a 50 year old, 60 year old kind of thing on copywriting. And you could see how so many of the, the, the ways to be influential in your writing that existed decades ago are still relevant today. But I'm curious where you learned to be a good copywriter. Was there, was there, was there, or, or, or to be a good uh, influencer, persu- pers- persuader, like you said? I learned it from my father a little bit who owned a business. Like, that was like, I understood, like, oh, if you're like act charming, like you get what you want more often than not acting charming. And then I learned it from this guy named Neville Medora. Neville Medora is now my best friend. He lives two doors down from me. He was the best man at my wedding. But I started reading his blog and his, and uh, I bought his course called Copywriting Course. His name's Neville Medora, copywriting course. I'm not paid for this, but I, 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 I just want to promote him because it changed my life. I took his course and that's when I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this naturally already, but there's actually like frameworks and formulas that I can use. This is awesome. And once I took his course, then I began reading everything I could on copywriting. And I used to do this thing called copy work where I would get the best sales letters and the best writing that I could find, whether it's like Catcher in the Rye because I like JD Salander's voice, or if it was like famous like letters that sold encyclopedias, and I would literally copy them by hand for hours every single day for months, many half a year. And that is like the same way that we learn how to play musical instruments. Um, you know, you like learn jingle bells and then you like learn like a Green Day song or something like that. And then eventually you start writing your own song, 
you like, cause you see the recipe and you see the patterns. That's the same thing with writing. And so that's how I learned. So I learned it originally from Neville and he kind of showed me what copy work was. And then I, um, did that for a long time. And obviously I read every book I could get my hands on. What I want people to hear though, is they, they might just assume that you were a good writer and that you were always a good writer. No. And I don't think people would know that you took a course and that you wrote things that already existed. I've never even thought about that. Like, like, uh, you know, like the music, well, a lot of, uh, a lot of people haven't. So I actually created, uh, a, this thing. It's like 50 bucks. It's called uh, try copy that.com copy that I call it try copy that where I, um, like just find my favorite sales letters that I learned and I just dissect them. Like I put annotations on them and your job is very simple. You just got to spend half an hour copying it by hand. It works really well. Uh, It works really well. Awesome. Try copy that.com you said? Yeah, I don't care if you guys buy it or not. You could go do copy work on your own. <laughs> yeah, but I just like I. Everyone was asking me like, "How did you learn?" I was like, "Fuck, it. I'm just gonna put it together so you could just." Do oh, it. that's so cool. Um, but so, I would also sign up for Neville's thing. It, 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 it that really like was pivotal. It changed my life. So uh, I'm I'm guessing try copy that or copy that was it was just one of these ideas that are floating around your head. You seem to have a ton of these because you talk about them on the podcast. I just well, I, I I just made that recently because I needed to stay sharp. I, I I a people kept asking me like how do you learn and I didn't feel like sending people. I, I don't know. And then B I was like I need to stay sharp. I need to work on my craft and so that's why I did it. So so tell me about trends. This community that you've built, which is. I think a really cool idea. How long has it been around and, and what's the purpose of it? So at the hustle, the game plan was to build up an email list of a million people and make money through advertising and then make that business. So like knowing what I know now, I still would have sold the company, but this year, had we not sold, we could have made 40, 50 million dollars in revenue this year. We would have crushed it this year. And it's because advertising sales are like going through the roof. Uh, I did not predict that. I would have predicted predicted the other way around. But because Facebook has made changes, um, B2B advertisers are spending crazy amounts of money on places like us and Morning Brew and other email because it's like such a good ad product. So anyway, but when we started, I hated advertising. And I was like, we need to figure out a different business model. Like... Because most media companies, you ideally, media is a little bit different from software. Because with media, you have people's attention, but then you have to you can you monetize it via lots of different products. So you could have like maybe three different revenue. A media, it's not on. It wouldn't be weird for a media company that makes a hundred million dollars to have like a fifty million dollar business line, which is like advertising, a thirty million dollar business line, and a twenty million dollar business line. Like that's not like if you look at Barstool Sports, their revenue, it's like. ads, yeah, 50% t-shirts, 20% gambling, 10% events. Like that's, that's a normal mix. And we had like 10 million, I think, in ad sales at that point. And I was like, all right, we need to diversify. Like, let let me do some research. And I would just research like crazy. And I would set uh, different business models and I would send my friends the research I was doing. And they're like, oh, just sell that. That's your research is cool. You're breaking down businesses. That's pretty cool. Just sell that. And that's where trends came to be. So trends was a weekly email where I would just do research on interesting trends and I would break down different businesses. And then we had a, a community component where people could discuss it. And uh, it did good. I think by the time we sold it, it was doing uh, uh, high seven figures, almost eight figures in revenue. And uh, that was a good business. 
So did you always have this sense of curiosity to want to look into business ideas and industries and, and spot trends? Always. Yeah, I was obnoxious. If you like Google like Sampar questions, you'll see multiple articles and multiple multiple Twitter threads of people making fun of me because both as like, like for example, Neville, my best friend Neville, who I mentioned, he's 10 years older than me. And so when I met him, I was 25 and I was so annoying. And I would just ask him questions. I'm like, how much money you make? How much money you get in your bank account? How do you do this? Like, I would just ask these like obnoxious questions and people made fun of me all the time. And I've always been like that where I just like, it always amazed me where like I would walk around downtown San Francisco and I'm like, man, these traffic lights are wild. Like, I can't believe that an individual came up with this idea and convinced all these people to like agree to this, that this traffic light, like the system is the right system. That's so interesting to me or that this building is here. And like, how do they know that this building's not going to fall over? Like, how did they just buy into one person's like theory and like plan? And I just thought that was amazing. I was like, how does this all work? And I always was like that. Endlessly curious. And so do you think that's a necessity for people building businesses that they should be like, can they be more curious? How do you train that? I don't know if you can train it, but I don't know if you need to be curious, but I think you always have to be, you always, I think it's smart to be in like, it's smart to always want to seek out the answers and to assume and to assume and even to have fear and um, what's the word? I'm blanking on a word. What's the word that starts with a P? Pa- paranoia. Uh, it's always good to have paranoia that like you don't have the answer and you to constantly seek out the answers. So, for example, Darmesh, the uh, founder of HubSpot, Darmesh is my buddy. He's the guy who bought our company. He is a billionaire. He's probably multi billionaire. And he remember when Wordle came out like six weeks ago. He built this thing, I forget what it was called, but if you look at his Twitter thread, he loved Wordle so much. Uh, and so he built like a Wordle clone or like a Wordle study guide or something like that. Like a like a piece of software that like helps you succeed at the Wordle game. And he just built it for fun. And I was like, why are you doing this? He's like, I love programming and I just want to keep learning. And this is a billionaire. You don't have to do this. He's got people who just does this. And so I think it's important to have that attitude where you don't have the answer and you should always be a student. Another example is Rupert Murdoch, who is the guy who started Fox News. My co-host Sean did a pitch or did like went to some conference or something where it was all of uh, Rupert Murdoch's exec team. And they would get like eight companies to come and just like, the co- it was just like young companies, Silicon Valley startups, who would just tell him what their company does. And there's no agenda. He's like, I just want to see what's out there. And Sean told me that he sat there Without taking, he purposely didn't drink water because he didn't want to have to take a pee break, and he would just <laughs> sit there and, and take notes the whole time. And this guy's like ninety at this point, and so like I think having that like, where it's like I don't have the answers. I'm someone's going to come and eat my lunch. I just need to figure out what's going on. I think that attitude is actually healthy. Yeah, amazing. I, I I love that, and it's that that idea of constantly being a student, always learning, and never being done. You know, like it never. You, even if you have a billion dollars, and you know, if if you kind of phone it in, and you're like, oh, I'm 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 good. Uh, that's I think when you start to die. So <laughs> I think it's a good idea to to stay engaged. So the show, uh, your podcast, my first million, great title. Even if you said it's kind of a misnomer, uh, but you're all my a, stuff is all my stuff has horrible names. The hustle, it's, it's hustle great. Con. It's, it's like great uh, clickbait. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. Like my first million. So if someone was coming to that to try to learn how to make their first million, what would you tell them? I know it's a broad answer, but what's your advice? People ask me this and they hate my answer. And I say like, well, what are you good at? And what do you enjoy? And so that's the first thing I'm like, I, you know, like, have you heard of the Japanese concept of Ikigai? Have you heard of that? Ikigai. It's spelled, uh, it's, let's see, I-K-I. If you just Google uh, I-K-I-G-A-I. So it's this Japanese concept that refers to like how to give someone a sense of like purpose and well-being in their life. And it basically kind of looks like a huge Venn diagram where there's passion, mission, uh, oh, sorry. Here, I'm actually going to read out exactly which ones. It's Sorry, it's what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. And so I constantly refer to that where I'm like, you got to like figure out like I summarize it to like, what are you good at? And like, where can you make money? So let's just like figure out what that is. Um, and then for a lot of people, my opinion, if I was young and just trying to make like literally a million dollars, I 100% could do that by starting a blog and I would start a, I could start a blog in just about any niche that I like if I only wanted to make money, I could just read like five books and blog and summarize all five of those books and like make a blog about like various chapters and learnings. And then, and then I could get traffic to that blog fairly easily and I could sell either a course or some type of consulting service. I, could, I mean, I could do that like in my sleep. <laughs> well, there it is. There's the easy answer. So for anyone listening, Sam just gave you the shortcut to making your first million dollar business if all you care about is money. But I love the concept of Ikigai. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. I, I mean, there's some uh, Japanese folks probably listening and they're like, that's not exactly how you say it. But I believe Ikigai. Uh, it, it's just this like very simple concept of basically like, what, what, where's your skills? Where's your passion? And where's the market? Yeah. And you got to okay. figure that out. guy, Perfect. I'll, I'll Google that and I'll share it out in the show notes. Um, last thing here, I guess, is, you know, related to the trends, you are on the pulse of so much right now. So um, you mentioned TikTok being a great place to, you know, get subscribers. What other things, what other trends or, or areas would you encourage people to just get educated and to dive into right now in 2022? Um, well, I'll tell you what I what interests me. There's a few things. The first is at-home diagnostics. So like there's this idea that like there's a conversation that happens in doctors' offices where they're like had we gotten this scan like 8 months earlier, we could have caught this and this could have been preventable but not anymore and it's past the point of no return and you're doomed. I think that in some period in the near future, that could be 100 years, it could be 10 years, that conversation is going to happen less and less where um, we're going to be able to... like, like It's just crazy that you can have a cancer or you could have some type of illness or some type of bad thing in your body exists for months, but you don't know because you literally just didn't physically go to the particular room that you had to go to in order to get the scan. I think that's crazy to me. So I'm really fascinated by all the companies that are addressing that. So that's like, could be uh, like a company like Whoop, which is, you know, like the, mm. the, yeah, the wristbands. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a aura ring is another one. I invested in this company called Levels, which makes like a patch that goes on your arm and it tells you all about your blood glucose monitor. Um, I'm really fascinated by a lot of different at-home diagnostic tools. I think um, removing the friction from going to the doctor and just being able to do it at home will will ultimately uh, make that conversation of we could have caught this happen less and less. So I'm really interested in that. Um, what's another, what's another thing that's interesting? Um, a lot of times I look at what are the Silicon Valley dorks doing in the free time? So like in 2012, a lot of my friends in Silicon Valley between 2012 and 2014, I'm talking like wealthy people who have free time and who are like nerds. Like, what are they doing? A lot of my friends who fit that bucket, they were doing LSD and ayahuasca. Now that's like way more common right now. So I look at what are they doing now? A few things that are interesting is I think um, sauna and ice baths are yeah. are are like kind of like I'm seeing so many of these at home products now that you can just get an ice bath and regulate it. I have one. Do you? I do it in the morning. It's awesome. Yeah, I just jump so in my like, pool's not heated. I just jump in my pool and it's freezing. <laughs> and that works in you, the winter. You, well, the goal is you need to be a certain, t- you need, well, it could work in the winter. The goal is you need a shiver. You have to shiver for a certain amount of time. And that is, uh, so usually that it has to be kind of cold. So I like ice baths and sauna. I think that's kind of interesting. I've seen, I've been pitched a bunch of different sauna companies. That's intriguing to me. Um, what are some other trends? Uh, I'm not about Web3. I'm not about that. Um, crypto, yeah, I am, but that's boring. I could always say, like, yeah, just go focus on that, obviously. But that, I mean, we all know that that's happening. Um, what else is interesting to me? Um, oh, uh, tr- anything related to trucking. So the average trucker in America is like stupid old. Like the average trucker is like in their 60s. And that's really bad. Because pretty much anything you have in your home that you bought, a truck was like ha- had to get it at least in one part of its journey. It was on like uh, an eighteen wheeler truck, and people say like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have self driving trucks." And my reply to that is, "Yeah, eventually, but man, we are so far from that." And B, once the self driving truck comes, someone's probably still gonna be sitting in that seat, so you still need people to do that shit. So I'm incredibly fascinated about people who can solve this problem of getting people to just solving the problem of A, getting people to come be truckers and B, just how are you going to get stuff from the location to location? That's incredibly fascinating to me. And that's actually a huge problem. Yeah. And if we don't have trucks, how are we supposed to get our ice baths and our saunas delivered? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> you'll see, and, and like, to be honest, like it, like it scares, like you're going to starve. Like, how are we going to get like, Dog, bananas don't grow in New York in the wintertime. Like, I don't, but you go to the store and you got a banana. Like, that ain't normal. So, like, you want your bananas in the wintertime? Like, there's a reason that's there. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so, yeah. uh, like, I get, I get nervous about uh, truckers. Well, I appreciate you sharing those. I mean, it's obvious that you just have a gift for following these trends. Thank you for sharing some of them here. But hopefully between your story, the trends you pointed out, what you would do if you started all over again, um, everybody listening has got a lot to act on, to take action on, uh, especially getting better at copywriting. I think the course from your friend sounds super interesting. And we'll post a lot of these links in the show notes. So Sam, uh, where can people go to just follow along with everything that you're working on? 
I post on Twitter a lot. I've got a nice Twitter following. Um, so it's the Sam Parr. And then I'm, uh, I do a lot of fitness related stuff and I post a lot of that content on Instagram and it's also the Sam Parr. So only sign up if you want to see like a bunch of bro, like shirtless pics of, uh, working out. <laughs> All right. I'm sure someone listening is really into that, but, uh, I'll, I'll maybe let I could trick one person into signing up. Maybe one person will like it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing the, the story, the lessons here, and uh, I appreciate it. For everyone else, uh, we'll see you next time on Organized Chaos. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe or leave a review and share it with anyone in your network that you think could use the information. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on social at Chris Ronzio on all platforms, and you can find Trainual at Trainual, just like a training manual. We'll see you next time.